of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasting to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Farrell. I'm joined, as always, by the number one Jet fan in the state of Texas, my colleague and co-host, Michael Lagaris, everybody. What's up, Jet fans? What's up, Keith? How are you? And he's in the building, as always, on a weekly basis. Again, number one high school football coach in the nation today, my cousin Sammy, Sammy O'Hare. What's up, Sammy? Jet fans, what's going on? Very special guest this week, also writer, podcaster, YouTube sensation when it comes to the New York Jets here, Matt O'Leary in the building. Matt, what's going on, dude? Love that energy on the intro, man. I'm like ready <laughs> to run through a brick wall. Are you sure you're not the football coach? I, I'll take you anyway. <laughs> and I'm stoked to have you here. We're going to talk about the New York Jets passing game, kind of compare that to the rest of the division now. We were speaking before the show. It seems like this year might be a year we actually have a passing game to talk about. We'll see what happens with that, guys. Uh, Matt, before we get into that, I know on your show on YouTube, on your podcast in different places, you've spoken about this offseason already, but I just want to ask you, obviously a lot of different, a lot of changes this offseason, a lot of draft picks that people are excited about, free agency, I think Joe Douglas was pretty shrewd with his moves here. Before we get into the main topic this week, why don't you just let some of our listeners know what you think about this offseason, how Joe Douglas did fill in some of these holes for the New York Jets. Yeah, I think he did a phenomenal job. And uh, going into this offseason, he had both a lot of cap space and a lot of draft capital. So I think everyone knew that it was going to be an offseason of changes. And it was just whether or not those changes and those moves would live up to the expectations. But I think they have. And I think he even exceeded expectations in some regard. Um, absolutely love what he did in free agency, bringing in two tight ends. I think that's going to be super beneficial to this passing attack. I mean, last year, we saw the Jets try to trot out Ryan Griffin and uh, Tyler Croft and, and guys like that. It, it was just, it was a tough watch, but now it's going to look completely different with Conklin and Uzama. Uh, and then you bring in Lakin Tomlinson too, who's going to help your young quarterback, which is just phenomenal. I'm all about that. And, you know, they added a couple pieces in the secondary and then the NFL draft, I think is what really stole the show. You had Sauce Gardner fourth overall. You're able to add a premier wide receiver in Garrett Wilson. You, you add Jermaine Johnson in a, in a surprise trade up and then another surprise trade up where you land arguably the best running back in the class. So this team looks really different going into 2022, and I think they'll be much more competitive. Yeah, it was strange to see the draft post-draft, I should say, Matt. So many different publications give the Jet that tremendous grade. We're not used to seeing that. Even on paper, we, I mean, you never know what happens when the season rolls out, but normally you don't see A+, plus, A-, minus, um, those type of grades for the Jets there. I think the draft was tremendous. The tight end help, man, and free agency, and the draft with our boy Rucker from Ohio State. I think that's going to change the offense. Brees Hall is going to be a big change to the offense. And hopefully this passing game is going to improve. Last year, we averaged about 208 yards a game, and that's with those great games with our boy, the legend, Mike White. 
raising those stats up. Let's put a few decent games from Flacco. If it was just our boy Zach Wilson, that stat might be even a little lower. That's what we want to get into this week. Now, last week, just so everybody knows, Mike was at Disney World. But while his family was sleeping and his brother's sleeping, everyone's taking it easy. You know what he's doing? He's on PFF, crunching the numbers all night long for this show right here, guys. Okay, I want to get into that right now, Mike. You looked at some of these offensive line stats. You looked at some of the pass catchers, Mike. You looked at the quarterbacks. You broke down the numbers on PFF. When it comes to the offensive lines, Mike, now we're going to get to the passing attack as a whole here. Let's start with the offensive line here, Michael. When it comes to the offensive line, the PFF rankings, you went through them last year. You saw the projection for this year. What would you come up with, Mike? Yeah, so uh, I looked at PFF. I wanted to look back and see where do the where do the Jets rank from a pass blocking perspective. What did what did PFF say about the Jets and the rest of the AFC East, and how did the Jets stack up? Um, essentially, the New York Jets were third overall from a pass blocking perspective. Uh, New England Patriots were number one. Obviously, they got Trent Brown over there at right tackle, Isaiah Wynn, um, David Andrews at center. They had a pretty solid offensive line there for Mac Jones. Uh, number two was the Buffalo Bills with Deion Dawkins at left tackle, headed up by Spencer Brown and Mitch Morris uh, with center. And uh, and then the New York Jets, George Fant had a very good pass blocking grade at about 75.1, which was a surprise, a pleasant surprise, really. He may be looking for a contract extension here soon with the New York Jets. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker came in at around 56.9. We want to kind of see a little bit more from him. He's going to be moving over to right guard. Uh, Connor McGovern had a near 70. Greg Van Roten, obviously he's out of here. He was our one weakest uh, cog there at about a 53 and then more Moses. So we had a pretty decent offense came in third uh, offensive line, uh, gave Zach pretty decent protection. And then Miami dolphins were an absolute train wreck with uh, Leanne Etchenberg, 46.9. Austin Jackson was the left guard 49.1. Um, they were just absolutely terrible. So moving into 2022, there's been some changes and I would say at this point, the New York Jets did improve uh, from last season. Uh, looks like George Fant, most likely, guys, is probably going to be the left tackle starting off the organization. Definitely trusts him on Zach Wilson's blind side. Makai Becton, you know, I'm not really sure where the weight is at this point. I think it's below 400. I was listening to Rich Samini today <laughs> on his podcast. He does believe it's below 400. But remember, when he was in combat, his weight was at 362. Mm -hmm. So I don't think his weight is where they want it to be. And he's going to have to earn the spot. But I believe he's probably going to be being play, playing at right tackle. So from a projection perspective, as a rookie, he had a 76 grade. That's what I, I gave him. I projected him at 76 at the right tackle. Elijah Vera Tucker, I put him uh, about a 60 uh, at right guard near what he did last year. Connor McGovern kept him the same. We added a Pro Bowl left guard, Lincoln Tomlinson, 75.2 uh, and pass blocking. And then George Fan 75.1. So with that, the Jets, I believe, are going to have the best pass protection for any quarterback in the AFC East next year, according to um, what the, the potential production looks like. The New England Patriots, they're starting a rookie at left guard, Cole Strange. I don't know how that's going to work out. You know, he was a surprise ad there. I had put him in there as, at about 60. Mike Onwanu is starting at right guard. He was starting at left guard and then got benched for uh, Ted 
Karis, I believe, or Karis. I'm not yeah. sure how you say his name. He's gone. So that's a new starter there. So I, their pass grade dropped a little bit pr- projected for next year. I got them at number two. The Buffalo Bills, they added Roger Saffold from the Tennessee Titans at left guard. He was a scrub. <laughs> 44.8 was his pass block grade. And they added Ryan Bates, who only had 294 snaps last year from Philly at right guard. They'll still have Mitch Moore, Spencer Brown, and, and Dawkins. And then the Miami Dolphins, they did add a big weapon or a big uh, blocker in uh, Taron Armstead from the, New- the Saints. Excellent add there, 85.6. Uh, at left tackle, they moved their current, their previous left tackle to left guard. Connor Williams, they got in free agency from Dallas. Very good pickup. Robert Hunt returns at right guard. And then they took Austin Jackson, the left guard, who was a scrub, and moved him to right tackle. Um, so overall, the projections I have, the New York Jets, number one. Patriots are number two. Miami Dolphins will be number three. And actually, the Buffalo Bills According to what I'm seeing here, the moves they made using their PFF grades from last season will come in fourth from a pass blocking perspective. Yeah, the Bills surprisingly don't look on paper like they have the strongest line, but who knows when Josh Allen can move like he does. Um, maybe they haven't invested in that position because of that, Mike. I think one interesting note with the Dolphins, they signed Teron Armstead, who could have been the best free agent in all of free agency, but he plays left tackle, and the quarterback is left-handed. And they're moving Austin Jackson to right tackle. And he's probably the worst pass blocker on the whole the whole line, which I thought was interesting. Um, I, you probably saw that too, Matt. What do you think about that? And we're going to get some questions here I want to ask you about the Jets offensive line. But when it comes to the Dolphins and the kind of way they shaped it up, Connor Williams is tremendous and Armstead's tremendous too. So their line last year was so bad, it seemed like these are upgrades, of course. And Eichenberg should have been playing guard anyway. But their right tackle is going to be Austin Jackson, one of the worst pass blockers on the team. Um, do you think that's balanced the best way considering they have a left-handed quarterback? No, I'm with you. That's strange to me. I I don't know why you would want your arguably, like you said, your worst offensive lineman now protecting your quarterback's blind side. That doesn't make any sense. And you brought in Armstead, who is is phenomenal. Yeah. The Saints, you put up great numbers every single year with them. You know, he's he's a really, really good tackle, and you're gonna play him on the left. And for most teams that works because most teams they have a righty quarterback, but the Dolphins are a rare team where they have a lefty quarterback, and they're gonna p- continue to play him at left tackle. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I was surprised with the Bills numbers too, by the way, when what you guys were talking about earlier. I thought that they would have ranked a little bit higher, but um specifically, I mean, here with Miami, they did a lot to try to improve, but I don't know if it'll be enough with that wink uh, that the weaker link, excuse me, on the right yeah. side. Yeah, dude, that's what I, I mean, me and Mike, I, when we went through the numbers too, I would just hit me like yesterday. I'm like, wait a minute, he's lefty. So this doesn't seem to make that much sense. I mean, you can't move Armstead to right tackle, of course, but just seems like an interesting way to shape your line. Um, I want to ask you, Matt, from a pass blocking standpoint, you know the numbers from the Jets last year. You know the personnel we rolled out there last year and the year before and the year before was, it seems like it's a little bit better every year. But considering the guys we've added this year, we got Tomlinson now, we're going to move AVT over to the right side of the line. We're moving Becton more than likely over to right tackle. Um, comparing last year's line to this year's line, do you see a lot of room for improvement when it comes to the pass blocking? Yeah, I definitely think they will improve as a pass blocking unit. Um, and to me, I think uh, George Fant is the best pass blocker on this offensive line. I think that's what he really thrives at. And that would it would seem, based on what we just talked about, 
with Tua, it would make sense to have your best pass blocker on the left side. So I think Fant playing like that, that just makes too much sense. Yeah. Now with Becton coming back as a rookie, he was very promising, but he was significantly better as a run blocker than a pass protector. And I kind of got that same vibe last year from Elijah Vera Tucker. So I think there's room for improvement uh, in terms of pass blocking. But I, I know we're not doing run blocking here, but I have no concerns at all with this offensive line as run blocking. They're going to be one of the best run blocking lines in all of football. From a, from a pass protection standpoint, I think you're going to need some of those young guys to just take that next step forward in their development. Yeah, uh, understood. So New England, like we were saying, did from a pass blocking perspective, have the best protection last year. Now, Ted Karras had a 76.9 grade and he's gone and he's replaced by Cole Strange. Um, and then also their right guard, Shaq Mason, had a 73.1 grade and he's gone. And they got Owanu, who's a third year player who's benched last year for Karras. That, those are the major changes for the New England Patriots. They have Trent Brown. We know he's a beast. Yep. Right tackle, 81.2. Uh, David Andrews is still the center. Do you think the New York Jets, their unit is will be now on par with the New England Patriots? Do you think they're actually ranked ahead? I actually have them projected ahead. Um, but I ask you, what, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think it's going to be close, but I would give a slight advantage to the Jets here. Um, and it's for those reasons, like you just mentioned, with Cole Strange, a rookie, coming in to play left guard. You don't know what you're going to get there. I liked Cole Strange coming into the draft. I thought they reached on him by like three rounds. But yeah. I think <laughs> someone, someone who was, you know, I thought was a, a good guard, a good yeah. guard prospect. But again, plugging in and being a starter at left guard is not an easy thing. And there's going to be some ups and downs. And I don't know a ton about Anwanu, uh, the right guard here. But obviously, it's not in the same stratosphere as what Shaq Mason was. I mean, he, he was a good quality guard, uh, you know, a good starter that you just lose and you're taking a major flyer on this guy. It, it's risky. And, and to me, I think that's where it sets apart because the Jets' biggest risk on their offensive line is Makai Becton, who at least as a rookie flashed and was really solid. Uh, so I'd rather go with the higher ceiling risk than on Wanu, who, I mean, he's, he's he could has a pretty low floor. So that's yeah. Yeah, Awanu played as a rookie, played 92% uh, of the snaps his rookie season at left tackle, I believe. And then uh, the second year, he played at left guard, and then he got replaced. He only played 62%. His, his, his efficiency just dropped. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but to your, I completely agree with you. Um, I want to just ask now, Sammy, from Buffalo Bills now, right? Like, So you heard Matt was a little bit surprised with the numbers from the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Buffalo Bills had Ike Bodiger at the left guard. He's gone, okay? And they had Darrell Williams at right guard, and they replaced him with Roger Saffold, okay? Pass blocking, uh, Sammy, 44.8. <laughs> what the? Okay, all right, hold up. And then they add Ryan Bates. Cat only played 294 snaps last year, so he was hurt, and they moved him in at right guard. Sammy, I honestly feel like the Buffalo Bills took a big step back here from a pass blocking perspective. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it really seems that way. Um, I would say well, one of the hardest things about offensive line groups, especially when they're new, is getting them to work cohesively as a unit together. So 
by replacing guys, even though they didn't do too great last year, by not bringing in quality dudes who are going to be leaders on that offensive line, I think they're really going to struggle. The fact that they're not very good and they also don't have that kind of that one guy who's going to be the glue for that whole offensive line. You know what I mean? Line on paper does not look great. They have Allen running like crazy out there in the backfield. Dawkins is good, so they got his blind sign protected. Besides that, um, not that great on paper, but we'll see how it shakes out. Hopefully their line just falls apart, Mike, because you know we hate those hill people up there in Buffalo. Mike, I want to get into some of these pass catchers now, Grove, because this is where I think it's very interesting what we're going to be bringing to the table this year as opposed to previous seasons here when it comes to weapons for our boy Zach. Mike, you broke the numbers down on PFF also when it comes to pass catchers on. We're just going to phrase it that way because it could be tight end, wide receiver, running back, etc. everybody. Um, pass catchers for all the teams last year, Mike, and then with the Jets and the AFC is going to be bringing to the table this year from PFF. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, man. It was just like what you said before. I mean, in past seasons, the Jets really had nothing to offer from a talent perspective. But right now, um, as we get into some of these numbers, we're pretty excited because it looks like that we've caught up. We may not be ahead in this in this arena, but we're definitely playing ball with these guys. So last year, uh, the number one unit, um, what I did, Matt, just so you know how I got the, the, the uh, number here, the cumulative number, I took your top three receivers from a passing PFF perspective and and the top tight end. And I took those four and I averaged it and that's the number that I got as a unit, okay? So your top three receivers and your top tight end. So the uh, number one unit using that framework was the New England Patriots actually. <laughs> Bourne, Myers, and Harry, uh, 77.8, 74.7, and 68.7, and then Hunter Henry at 75. Yeah, Henry helps that out. Now, I'm not saying they had the best unit, but it was the most efficient unit from a, a PFF perspective. And number two was the Buffalo Bills. Gabriel Davis actually had the highest grade, Diggs, Beasley, and Knox. Uh, number three was the Miami Dolphins with Devontae Parker, uh, Waddle, Wilson, and then Gasecki, and then New York Jets way last, okay? Because all of those were like 74, 73, 73, a top aggregate number. Ours was 64.8. We had Moore, Elijah Moore, number one, and then Davis, Crowder, and Croft. Croft was a complete scrub. We already know what's going on there. So that's that's how it had. That's how 2021 uh, ended. Now, going into 2022, there's been some changes. Now, now, the New York Jets, I project from what I see, still fourth. But our aggregate number, our cumulative number, is right there with everybody else. So, number one, I've got the Miami Dolphins most improved. So, they've got Waddle. They've got Wilson. they got Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill had an 84.6. Best grade in the whole yeah. uh, division. Okay, and Mike Gusecki. So they got 76.3, number one. Number two, New England Patriots. They kind of stayed exactly where they were. Um, added Parker uh, into that mix. Uh, that's the only change they have. The Buffalo Bills actually decreased because they lost Beasley and, and Sanders, but they added in Crowder. Crowder actually wasn't as good, um, uh, according to PFF. So they actually decreased a bit. And the New York Jets now went from 64.1 all the way up to 70.1. Moore, 71.2. Davis, 68.8. I projected Garrett Wilson at 70, which is about what Moore, where Moore was. I think that's pretty decent. And then the biggest thing is Conklin. Conklin's PFF grade is really, really good, 70.4. So now, again, do we know CJ Uzama is going to start? Who knows? But what I'm saying is, I do believe the New York Jets have closed the gap from a talent perspective. There is, I'm sure, a whole lot of 
room for the Jets to grow in this area. They, I think that they were disadvantaged a ton last year, but I think they've definitely closed the gap. So, Keith, that's that's what I got so far as far as changes. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's what I want to ask Matt. I mean, Mike, and if we use your, if we use the top three receivers and then the number one tight end as the aggregate, obviously we're not going to end up that highly ranked. However, if you factor in the fact that we're probably going to be throwing the ball to Brees Hall and Michael Carter, and I'm sure Ruckert's going to get some targets, and Uzoma, um, I think in totality, the Jets are comparable to everybody else. Maybe not at the top end. We don't have a Diggs right now on paper. Who knows what Garrett Wilson's going to be? Who knows what Elijah Moore's going to be? We don't have a Tyreek Hill. I understand that. Um, and Waddle looked good last year. I'm not the biggest Waddle fan, but he did look good. So I'm not trying to say the Jets are head and shoulders above anyone here. But let me ask you, Matt. I mean, like we said, we drafted Wilson. They have Azoma. They have the tight ends, like you mentioned earlier. Um, Elijah Moore coming back. Corey Davis, Michael Carter. A lot of weapons out there for Zach Wilson. This unit right now, I mean, I asked you the same question with the offensive line. I'm just going to ask you the similar question here with this wide receiver pass catcher group. Um, this unit here compared to last season, does it not seem like it's just leaps and bounds ahead of what we had on paper going into 2021? Yeah, without a doubt. It's so dramatically improved. And I think the best way to describe it is the amount of depth that they have. And I think you said it perfectly. They don't really have the top end talent like a like a Buffalo or Miami after those trades, you know, the for bringing in Tyreek Hill there. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the totality, like you said, from top to bottom, they could hang because of all the different other weapons. And then exactly. that's not factoring in. Michael Carter and Brees Hall catching the ball out of the backfield. So I think their versatility and diversity on the offensive side of the ball will help close that gap even more. So, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, when you're looking, when you're comparing the other teams in the AFC, they definitely have the more top end talent, but that, that doesn't mean that this offense isn't going to be dramatically improved for the Jets this year. Yeah, and Davis is ranking there for the Bills, and Mike surprised me. I mean, he's a good receiver. I know he's an ascending receiver. People compare him to maybe like a Chris Godwin. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens with him. I thought Knox was good. Crowder's rating wasn't great. Um, but, I mean, Josh Allen seems to always find the open man. So, that he frustrates me. Not who, no matter who's out there, the guy's finding whoever's open, which is, which is frustrating as hell. I think we probably do still come in fourth, Mike, by a little bit. Um, but like Matt was just alluding to, when it comes to the overall talent, I don't care if we have a guy. I don't want even the Jets to have a guy. I shouldn't say this. It'd be nice to have a guy with 1,500 yards, right? But say you have Wilson and Garrett. Um, Moore and, and Wilson both get a little bit over 1,000, and you have two tight ends over 500, and you have a running back catching 400 yards. I mean, if we could spread the ball around, those are the most effective offenses in the NFL. That goes back to the dawn of time here. So, I mean, that's really what you're looking for. Mike, where, where, with your ranking, is that how you had it? You still had the, the Jets coming in at number four? Yeah, I still got the Jets in number four. So, you know, right now we got Miami one, New England two, Buff, uh, Buffalo actually three, and the Jets four, but Buffalo is probably number two. So let me ask uh, Matt, you know, if we're looking at the Buffalo Bills with Gabriel Davis, with Diggs, with Crowder and Knox, um, compared to what we have with the New York Jets. And again, like Keith was saying, you know, factoring in the Carters and the Brees Hall, how how close is the is right now the New York Jet receiving core, the receiving team, with the uh, the Buffalo Bills? How much how close how much did they close the gap in that regard? I definitely think they closed it a a, a good chunk, but they are a ways away until they have that proven bona fide number one guy. I think that both more and Wilson have the potential to do that, but they have to show it for me on the football field for me to put them in that same conversation. And like 
Davis is he's a solid receiver. He came on strong for them last year, especially yeah. for the playoffs. We know Jamison Crowder well. When he's on the field and healthy, he's a very, very good slot receiver. And as mentioned earlier, Josh Allen, he, with how he's able to extend plays, you know, it's just for, forever you can hold on to that ball and find <laughs> somebody who's open. Open Where the Jets do have the advantage, though, in the passing attack, I would say is the running backs. I think Absolutely. The Jets running backs out of the backfield is going to be significantly better. Uh, and I think you hope that the Jets tight ends are, develop into what Dawson Knox was last year for Buffalo. Such a good red zone threat for them. And, uh, yeah, they're a little bit behind in that regard. But if you want to do a silver lining positive, it's the running backs out of the backfield. Dude, I agree 100% because if you look throughout the rest of the division here, I mean, Harris didn't catch any. He had 100 yards, I think, receiving last year for the Pats. Stevenson didn't catch the ball. Chase Edmonds wasn't that bad when he was in Arizona catching the ball. He's not that bad an option at receiver. But Mostert doesn't catch the ball at all as the backup there in Miami. So, um, And then, I mean, Cook it didn't catch the ball too much in college either. He's the backup running back there. Singletary doesn't catch the ball. So, that I mean, when it comes to the running backs, we definitely have an adventure. Let me ask you, Sammy. I mean, PFF has the Dolphins ranked as the best pass catcher group here when you bring their wide receivers and tight ends. They have Waddle. They have Hill. They have Gasicki, like we said. They brought Cedric Wilson in from Dallas. Do you have them as the best group here in our division, Sammy? Yeah, I think I think they're pretty clearly number one, especially after the addition of Hill, um, because Waddle showed a lot of flashes last year of being that guy for them anyway. Last year of being that guy for them anyway. So now you just added another problem for a lot of defenses. So I think people are going to have a really tough time guarding those two guys this year, honestly. And Gasecki's not a slouch. That guy plays, he comes to play every Sunday. Um, but I think in terms of well-rounded pass catchers. I think the Patriots and the Jets have the most well-rounded because there's three layers of passing going on. So with with Buffalo and with Miami, yeah, I've got to worry about the deep ball, but you're only really throwing underneath to a lot of guys or over the top. There's not a lot of backfield action. There's not a lot of screens happening, right? I don't have to worry about those things. And those things hurt a lot of defenses because those weird little, that one little screen bangs for 30 yards and now you've got the opposing defense on its heels. So I think in terms of well-rounded, I think New England and the Jets have it. But in terms of the best receiving and most talented core, it's clearly Miami. And then Diggs is just, he's always going to be a problem. I know what it says about Davis, but Diggs is just, he's a problem. Yeah. That means somehow Davis's PFF is above Diggs, which is just, they got to rethink the ranking system there. (laughs) I don't know what that's about, dude. What are you going to say, Mike? That's interesting, Sammy, that you said that. And actually, I do agree with you. So, Matt, let me ask you, New England Patriots, um, Bourne, Myers, they bring in Devontae Parker. We know what he is. Hunter Henry, um, that that group um, from a receiving core, do you agree with what Sammy says about the depth. Because I think what he's saying is at all three levels, the New England Patriots probably have the most sound group along with the New York Jets. Do you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, 1,000%. Like, similar to the Jets, they don't have that number one bona fide stud wide receiver, but they have guys who can catch the football and, you know, who are quality NFL uh, starters. And they have two tight ends. I know Jonu Smith struggled last year, but that's a player that I still like. Hunter Henry was very good. And, you know, they they can use the running backs out of the backfield a little bit, too. Um, so, yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I think from a depth perspective, the Jets and the Patriots are in the same boat there. All right, now let's get to the most important aspect of this passing game here, guys. Save the best for last. That's the quarterback position. 
Uh, I think everybody has Zach Wilson's stats memorized, all the diehard Jet fans from last year. You know the first eight games were a disaster. <laughs> you know the end of the season. I should Well, one of those games, Titans games, was pretty decent, okay? But most of those games were not that great. End of the season, he played a lot better, or at least more conservatively, held onto the ball, played better, used his legs a little bit more. Mikey dug into the PFF numbers with these quarterbacks. I know you're not the biggest Tua fan in the world, so I can't wait to hear what you have to say about him, Michael. When it comes to these QBs, 2021, Mike, what'd you come up with? Oh my goodness. So <laughs> we all know what the deal is here. Our, our boy, Zach, he's way in fourth, 54.8 grade passing, right? Um, Josh Allen, 77.5. He was actually number two at passing. Mac Jones was number one. Interesting, right? Now, and like Josh Allen, we know he's the, the best quarterback in the AFC East. We know that. But a lot of his value is actually in his legs. He's a he's a phenomenal passer. He pushes the ball down. His arm is crazy. But if you really step back and look at him as a quarterback and his decision making, sometimes, you know what I mean. Remember all of our angst, like uh, is he accurate? He still got those quirks. So we're gonna see what happens without Dable. Okay, we're gonna see. I'm not saying he's a scrub or anything. I know he's great, but I still, you know, we'll see what happens. But according to PFF, he's number two. Mac Jones was one. Tua was three at 67.3, and Zach was 54.8. So, projections. I heard Sean O'Hare give a phenomenal projection for Zach Wilson. He said, I don't know if you guys heard this, look at Eli Manning's second year and compare that more to around what you're going to see from Zach Wilson. 3,200 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. And he said that because Eli Manning struggled just like Zach Wilson did in the beginning because he was trying to do too much. He wasn't letting the offense come to him, right? And he stayed in the same system with the same coaches, talked around what what do I need to do, work in the offseason. And that second year, yeah, his completion percentage was about a 52%. So he didn't really hit it, uh, hit a lot of completion the way he needed to. But um, you definitely saw the production and there were the wins. And he said that's more around what he thinks Zach would be. And I think that I'm not saying he's going to be 52 percent completion percentage, but I think that around 3,500 yards, 20 something touchdowns, 15 or less interceptions. I think that's that's around a six. I put him at a 65 uh, uh, projection for next year. And I put everybody else uh, in the same way. So next year, I've got, you know, Josh Allen will be one. I got Mac Jones, two, Tua, third, and then Zach Wilson, fourth. And you probably are going to say, well, shouldn't you have Tua higher because he's got those great weapons? Look, what is what is Tyreek Hill? He is a deep threat, right? What does Tua not do? Throw the ball down the field. So I know it looks good on paper. I want to see it because... I don't believe, you know, there's a lot of hype around here and maybe I'm being a hater, but I'm real skeptical around Miami, you know, but paying all that money, that left tackle for a left-handed quarterback. I mean, I don't know what they're doing down there, you know, maybe they'll hire Adam Gase as their coach. We'll see. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's what uh, I saw from a projections perspective, Keith, around. Mike, didn't you hear um, Tyreek Hill said that too is better than Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> So they're going to be fine. They'll be fine. He's the, he's the left-handed Patrick Mahomes, apparently, down there in practice. Um, I don't know. I mean, Tua does 
everything around the line of scrimmage is basically what he where he throws the ball, which is why he's so efficient. They didn't even try to stretch it out with him last year. In college, he had a pretty decent long ball, and then the pros seems to have disappeared here. Maybe they didn't have the weapons. Maybe he just can't do it. Maybe he can't read coverages. Maybe their line, as we know, couldn't hold up long enough for him to even get the ball down the field. I don't know. I just know that uh, Tua is a mystery to me. Definitely hasn't validated that pick yet with the number one selection there in the draft. Um, I think Zach has a lot of room here to improve. Let's ask Matt what he thinks, man. I know you talked about it on, on YouTube plenty here already, but when it comes to our boy Zach, when it comes to everything they've been able to do in the offseason, I know there's a lot of variables that lead to why he may be successful this year. The new and improved running game, I think, is going to be one of the main ones which is going to set him up for success here. But what do you think about his chances of... I mean, you have to improve this year. He can't be as bad as he was last year. He was right at the bottom of the league. But do you think with everything they've done with the line, with the weapons, everything they've built around here going in 2022, we're going to see a leap here from our boy Zach Wilson? Yeah, without a doubt. I, I think he's set up beautifully to do just that. And I keep using this uh, expression, and I don't mean it in a negative way towards Zach Wilson. I mean it in a positive way towards Joe Douglas. There's no excuses for Zach Wilson anymore because – with Sam Darnold, when he was here, there was always the excuse of, well, the line stinks, or, well, there's no playmakers for him, or, well, the running backs aren't any good. Well, th I mean, that that's not the case now for this yeah. anymore. You, you went out and you used the 10th overall pick on a wide receiver. You traded up. You got aggressive to get a stud running back. You already had Michael Carter. You had Elijah Moore last year. You brought in three new tight ends. You brought in an all-pro caliber left guard. He better play better this year. And I think he will. Uh, the expectations are very high for him. The number two overall pick. And for good reason, because what we saw from him at BYU was really exciting. And something else we saw from him at BYU is he got better year over year. So while he struggled as a rookie, which he did, I think everyone has to admit, even the highest Zach Wilson fans will have to admit that he struggled. Uh, I just think that overall with him, what we saw in the second half coming back from injury, he looked more, much more comfortable. And I think that carries over into year two. And I think he could put up some good numbers for this team. Yeah, he looked a lot more poised at the end of the year. And that kind of coincided with the offensive line also playing way better. I mean, it's not that's not a rocket science there. And he, he did seem like when he came back, he had a better grasp on things, played better. You know, some some games, I'm not saying he was throwing 350 yards, but you go back, guys, watch the film on that Tampa Bay Buccaneer game. Probably the toughest defense they played towards the end of the year. There, The Buccaneers needed that game, and he played great. Man, that was probably one of his, to me, his most impressive game of the season. Uh, let me ask you, Sammy, when it comes to these quarterbacks, one through four, I know number one is going to be Josh Allen. Uh, a Mac Jones, I think, to a degree, is going to always be pretty efficient, but I don't see him being like a superstar quarterback, but he'll always be pretty efficient like he was last year. How do you have these quarterbacks ranked out for you, Sammy, with your one through four? Yeah, I have them the same. I have Josh Allen one, Mac two. I have Zach Wilson three and two at last. And there's a couple reasons I did that. In terms of projections, I just think – I don't understand what they do with the offensive line. It doesn't make any sense to me. They took two of the really important positions, one the most important for a lefty quarterback, the other one of your guard spots where you're doing a lot of pulling. You're going to need to get to the second level a lot, right? So you, you put terrible guys at those two spots. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But I think, and, and to kind of hit a little bit on what Matt said, like, I think with Zach, especially if he's everything that they're saying he is, right? He worked on his body. He works on his mind. He grasps things. He asks the right questions. He's always, you can't teach all of the other stuff he does really well. So I think this year he could have a great year, not just a good one. And I think um, looking at Eli's projections, like Mike brought up, I, I would even say he might have less picks because I don't really see them 
trying to do anything too crazy with the various weapons that he has. They can get super creative and still keep it really kind of conservative at the same time, if that makes sense, right? Because as a coach, with all of that talent, you can run different snag and, and mesh concepts where you're just getting guys open in space and letting them be athletes. So that's a high percentage rate and a high completion percentage rate for the quarterback. And those are those nice, easy throws that you can pop a couple. Yep. So I think he's really poised for some good stuff upcoming this year. Yeah, and like we were talking about last week, Sammy, with Brees Hall and what we're expecting to be a much improved running game. I mean, this play action should be there all day long. I mean, those, those throws usually are pretty... Um, highly, you know, high percentage throws there. I think we're going to be setting Zach up. You did not see, even though they said they were going to do it a lot last year because of maybe the score, game script, whatever the case may be, we didn't see a lot of that last year. I mean, you saw right at the beginning of the year, Zach in third and tens in high pressure situations. Um, they didn't really, I don't know if offensively necessarily they set him up to succeed, but Matt made a great point before when it came to Sam we kind of always had an excuse for him. I, I did feel bad for Sandbell. Now, he went to Carolina. He didn't play well there either. Um, but when he was here in New York, they didn't have great weapons for him. They didn't have a great offensive line. They didn't have a great running game. And there's none of those excuses here with Zach. I even think the defense is going to be improved. So we'll, we'll have the ball more often. We'll be in more advantageous positions as opposed to last year, um, where it seemed like they were always behind the eight ball and he had to always fight from behind. Uh, Mike, what do you think when it comes well, to the what, what, One thing I've learned about Joe Douglas, and I, I think you guys can all agree, is he's very high on upside on skill sets. Okay. He thinks, hey, X player can do Y and no one else can do why give me that skill and we can coach around it and make improve our team and that's really what zach wilson zach wilson has a phenomenal skill set okay but i think he was in over his skis coming into the nfl i think the speed surprised him i think that he was trying to learn way too much he got into the season he was forcing things playing trying to play hero ball his mechanics were all over the place he wasn't even able to, it threw him off completely. You could see it. He was he was all jacked up. He got hurt. He saw Mike White come in there, go put his jersey in the Hall of Fame. He got to see uh, Josh Johnson go in there, do actually operate the offense and learn, oh my God, I don't have to force things. I don't have to push it. I can let the game come to me. I can let the reads come to me. Let me just complete the damn ball. And so the second half of the season, he kind of learned by watching. And then you saw the, the, the turnovers and everything come down and he started getting more used to the game. Now, I am not sure how this is going to turn out next year, but all, I do know this. He now has a better uh, handle on the playbook. He does feel more comfortable in the huddle, it sounds like. And uh, I believe that we are going to see a more confident quarterback. But most importantly, he has to make the right decisions. He's got to let the game come to him. And he's just got to, you know, play ball. All those great, amazing throws that you see every every Sunday from these great quarterbacks. It's not like they're trying to force those throws. They understand the offense and they just let it come to like you've seen Tom Brady. He'll like dink, dunk, dink, dunk, boom, touchdown. Like it, it wasn't he just that was the play. And that's just how you play yeah. the game. So let's see what he does there. Now, being that said, how bad we saw Zach forcing things and seeing Mac Jones, how efficient he was. Matt, if you had an opportunity right now to redraft, would you draft Mac Jones at two instead of Zach Wilson based on what you've seen? No, 
I wouldn't. Uh, and the reason for that is because I think you have, especially at the quarterback position, you have to draft for ceilings. Uh, and while Mac Jones came in and looked like the best rookie quarterback last year, when it's all said and done, when their careers are over, I'd be very, very surprised if he would have had the best career out of everyone. I think he was the most pro ready. Um, he was a little bit older than some of these guys too. And, you know, he ran, he wasn't asked to do too much. Uh, he ran that system to a T and he was put in a perfect situation where all these other rookie quarterbacks, I mean, here with Zach Wilson, awful situation. Uh, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, brutal situation. Man, brutal. Yeah, Justin Fields, Chicago. I don't know if that got any better. That is still a brutal situation. <laughs> no, uh, but, but from a talent perspective, I'll take their traits over uh, over the traits that we have seen from Mac Jones. So um, I wouldn't do it because I think the best case scenario with him, he's like a middle of the pack quarterback where all these other guys with their athletic ability and the raw traits that they have, they have that top 10 potential. So I'll take that gamble every time. Yeah, man, that makes sense. I mean, you look, Mac Jones went to the Patriots. So he went to the most, probably the best team of any of those rookie quarterbacks that we mentioned, the Jets, the Jaguars, the Bears. None of those teams were in good shape last year. Regardless, I mean, you could you could have thrown Patrick Mahomes any of those teams. He might have had a tough time, you know. So um, the Patriots were the most, were the team that was ready just to plug a quarterback in who could game manage. I'm not saying Mac Jones is just going to be a game manager, but I kind of agree with Matt where what you saw from his la him last year was great for a rookie, but I don't see it getting that much better for Mac Jones. You know, I, he, he might be someone who's efficient like he is last year for the rest of his career, but not someone that I think that you can, is going to flirt with a 40 touchdown season one year or 5,000 yards or anything like that. Um, where I think what Matt's saying and what Jet fans hope is a guy like Zach Wilson, what we've seen at BYU, what we've seen as this, what they project the ceiling to be, could be one of those guys. Could be flirting with Pro Bowls. Not making it as a seventh alternate like Mac Jones last year, complete Fugazi Pro Bowl appearance, which I'm not counting. I'm still not counting. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You still haven't drafted a Pro Bowler since 2013, Jamie Collins, Patriots. Um, Mike. So do you, um, and I'll, I'll start off with Matt, do you guys think that Josh Allen, um, it sounds like Josh Allen is this. Um, is he the best quarterback in the NFL right now? Ooh. Oh, that is a really tough question. Um, I think I'll still say Patrick Mahomes, but it's really close. Um, it, it's it's so close. Uh, he's no worse. I think he's no worse than three. If you want to put Rodgers two and mm. Allen, yeah. You can make a strong case for it, but I, I still I still lean Mahomes because he's so dangerous on the ground. That's what really it is, is so damn dangerous on the ground. And you know, you watch the Jet games, you know this this dude. He, he's a monster, man. And um, I don't think that he's going to have as long of a career as everyone or the Hill people hope he has. Because if he runs like this for the next ten years, look at what happened to Cam Newton. You know it's not gonna this type of you can't survive in a league like this taking that type of abuse. yeah it's tough to sustain it because he doesn't really run out of bounds the dude he's a monster he's gigantic he just runs right into people and you could do that when you're 24 and 25 and 26 but um it's like a boxer man those body shots in the first second and third round come back to get you the late in the fight there hopefully hopefully that's the path that we sent Josh Allen on to early retirement with him. Keep running the ball. Um, he's he's as good as it gets, though. Um, I think I agree with Matt. Now, last year's quarterback rate, I think, was around a 92. 
Um, that's about 15 points lower than the previous year, but he's still tremendous. 36 touchdowns, 15 picks last year. He runs the ball. He does it all. Um, those, I mean, they, they talk about the new age quarterbacks being a threat, throwing it and running it. It's a nightmare to match up against guys like that because even if you plan everything right and you do everything right when it comes to your pass coverage, Josh Allen goes at the back and runs for eight yards. That's frustrating as it gets. We don't have to worry about that with Mac Jones. Um, I think the end of last year saw a little bit of Zach Wilson using the legs too, which I hope he does at the beginning of this year because that was, that was helpful. Mike, I would say I would still put Patrick Mahomes a little bit ahead of um, Josh Allen here. I think from a pocket passing perspective, um, I think he's much better. What do you think, Sammy, when it comes to the best QBs in the league, who do you got? You still got Mahomes number one or is Josh Allen creeping up? No, I got I got Allen at three. I, I um, Listen, Aaron Rodgers is old and the past two seasons, he's still had like 40 touchdowns and only four picks, you know? <laughs> It's hard to take that guy and say he's not top two quarterback. So I, I got Mahomes, Rodgers, and then Allen. Because I mean, he scores 12 touchdowns on the ground. He throws for 5,000 yards. He throws for 45 touchdowns. The guy's super dangerous. But like you guys all mentioned, I, the shelf life on that is kind of short. And he wasn't. He's not taking hits like Vic and Jackson and these dudes took. He's a big guy, so he's taking monstrous hits comparatively. You know. Um, I think if you see that shrink down, I think he has a longer shelf life, but we'll see. All right, Matt, let's hear what you got to say. New York Jets, 2022. We've made our, well, maybe we'll be able to touch in with you before the season starts again. Um, we're going to go through the rushing, the rushing attack, the defense with some other people in the next coming weeks. But I want to hear what you think about this upcoming year. You saw the schedule. All right. You know, the new improved personnel we got. What do you think this year is going to look like for us? Uh, I think it's going to be a lot better where... They aren't completely done by Halloween. Uh, now, I, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm ready to say like they're going to compete for a wild card spot because of just how stacked the rest of the AFC is. But yeah, I dude. think there's no reason that this team can't win seven, eight, nine games somewhere in that range with the amount of improvements we've seen on the roster, with everyone in the same system for another year, with Salah having another year under his belt. LaFleur as a play caller having another year under his belt. Um, I think they'll be much more competitive, but I still think they're a little bit young and not quite there yet. Uh, but I think they'll be much improved. I think everyone, based on the last few years, will sign up for an eight-win season if this quarterback looks legit. Well, Matt, I, I, I cannot disagree with you at all, but I think, you know, like we just went over it, the Jets have, from a pass, pass protection perspective, probably the best protection in the AFC East. They have closed the gap at receiver, right? So our receiving core is at the same level, maybe a little below where the rest of the AFC East is. So honestly, from a passing perspective, it all comes down to how good Zach Wilson is, right? That's, yeah, where, yeah. that's where the value is because, and we're just talking passing. If Zach can improve now that he has even better protection, now that he has better weapons, that will give him more opportunities and allow the game to come to him quicker, right? And now that he has a running game, that will open up play action for him, right? Can, if this kid can take a leap, I know you said eight, nine, seven wins, but there may be even more than that depending on how Zach does. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's totally up to Zach with the, the floor and the ceiling of this team. I hope you're right. I hope they get up to the like 10 win mark and maybe then you're flirting with a wild card spot. Um, it, it is really all up to, to Zach. If he takes this monster, monster leap, then yeah, the sky's the limit for this team. 
That's what I'm saying. Yeah, man, we've been waiting a long time for a leap from a quarterback, Jet fans. <laughs> long time, everybody. <laughs> Hopefully this is the year we see it happen, man. I mean, I guess Darnold took a little bit of a baby leap there in year two, and he improved, and he was decent enough, but not what we were looking for as Jet fans. We're looking for Zach for this year. I don't need 35 touchdowns this year for him. I just need to be efficient and just to win football games. I think that's all Jet fans care about. Whatever the equation it is. Like last year, Matt, I remember when Mike White came in and had that one great game. Um, and Jet fans are like, oh my God, man, you can't start this guy because of Zach Wilson and this and that. I'm 41 now, Matt. At this point, I don't care who the quarterback is. I don't care who the coach is. I don't care what the process is. I just want to win. No, I just want to win. I just I want the Jets to win. And hopefully Zach Wilson is the reason why we win. Um, all our eggs are in the Zach Wilson basket here, man. But just get those W's. Right, guys? That's all we're looking for here. A successful season. Bring some joy to MetLife Stadium. Me and Stanley will be dancing the stands, uh, hopefully this year, all over Bills fans. That's all we got for you this week. I want to thank Matt O'Leary for joining us, Matt. If anyone wants to get at you or any of your social medias or anything of that nature, where could they do that? Yeah, absolutely. On YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, pretty much anywhere you can find me at Matt O'Leary NY. We're talking Jets. We're talking football. We like to have fun, keep it light, and uh, appreciate it if you followed along. Awesome, and thank you so much for joining us. Michael, when it comes to the AEBG universe, where can people find us? Hey, we're on YouTube. Please like and subscribe. We're on Facebook at AEBG.JetsRadio, on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ podcast, and on Instagram at Jet.AEBG. You heard the man on behalf of the biggest Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Agaris, on behalf of the number one high school football coach in the nation today, my cousin, Samuel O'Hare, and on behalf of Matt O'Leary, my name's Keith Farrell. We'll get at you next week, everybody. Peace out.